0: We are Acts 17, and we are going to do verses 16 through 21, or we are at least going to attempt to do verses 16 through 21. So Acts 17, 16 through 21 says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and of the and the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to uh, be present. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were uh, conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be proclaiming... uh, Proclaimer of strange deities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Arapagala. Yeah. Arapagala. It seems like it should be so easy to say, but it isn't. Uh, Saying, yeah, good try. Uh, May we know what this new teaching is, which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now, all of the uh, Athenians and the, uh, or yeah, Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. So Paul had just fled from uh, Berea he he had to leave so he left behind silas and timothy and really it's because of that persecution that really came from thessalonica that the start of this in the Thessalonians were so, not not all of them, there was some that believed, but in Berea there was many that believed, and these people from Thessalonica that were opposed to Paul, they heard that he was in Berea, and so they made the journey down to Berea, and they started stirring up strife in Berea to the point where Paul had to flee the brothers, so those that were believers, the Christians, uh, they they escorted him all the way down to Athens. Now we talked about how Athens. I forget the exact mileage. It was hundreds of miles. It would have taken a long time. The scripture does say that he went to the to the shoreline, which could give the implication that maybe they took a ship to Athens. However, there would also be a road that would skirt the coast that would go down. So uh, it's a pretty long way for those days uh, away. So the Thessalonians are probably not going to be going down there to stir up strife. Uh, However, so he he goes there, he gets there, and those that escorted him there, he sends message back with them to tell uh, Silas and Timothy to come join him. And so, uh, even with by boats, this is going to be a pretty decent chunk of time that Paul is in Athens waiting for uh, Timothy and Silas to come to him. And so, as he's sitting there, waiting for these two, uh, his spirit is provoked, so provoked spirit. His spirit was being provoked within him ...as he was observing the city full of idols. As a Christian, we are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. John 17, 14-16 says, "...I have given my, them your word, and the world has, not, uh, has hated them, because they are not of the, the world, even as I am not of the world." I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from, from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So we are to be seen in the world as, as God does. So we're, we're to see the world as God does. We live in the world where people are just objects in life. This is, this is the way the world views just the, the human kind apart from a child of god views the world really as people as objects in their lives the world has uh desensitized us to uh the value of human beings and uh i would say that desensity continues to grow but yet I don't pretend like it wasn't desensitized back in those days. Because how could you you do some of the cruel tortures that had gone on in those times, and, and how could you do that understanding the value of a human life? Well, you can't, because without... The Holy Spirit, without, without your eyes being opened by God to recognize that this is a soul, this is someone created in the image of God, you can't view them with their proper value. And so people are desensitized to the, to the idea or to the fact of the value of human life that we have the privilege through God of being able to see. Uh, and so, uh, it's, it's really, we can look at the world, so I want to kind of bring it to, to even our personal time as we can easily look at the world to see opportunities for pers- uh, personal experience and pleasure. And so, when you're when you're bored, all right? This is where where I envision Paul is, he's sitting in Athens and he's waiting for Silas and Timothy, and he's probably going to be there for at least one week, probably even longer, right? And so when you're bored, what do you do? When you're bored, what do you do? If if you're Go ahead. Yeah, we'll take some answers. Um, I probably play a game. Play game. Read a book. Clean your room. Rohan. Work out. Sleep. Complain. Write a poem. Watch a movie. Yeah. Lie down and think. Annoy your sister. Good job, as every good sister should do, right? So, uh, when you're bored, like, my kids come to me sometimes and they're like, I'm bored. Well, they used to come to me sometimes and say I'm bored. Uh, Because usually it's like, what can I do? Well, the flower beds need to be weeded, and uh, the dishes need to be done. It's like, never mind, I'll find something. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) Okay, um, so when we're, when we're bored, though, in the absence of, of structure and that guidance, a lot of times we're looking to do something that gives us comfort or pleasure, right? Something that, that kind of helps satisfy and nourish us. And I'm not saying that reading a book or watching a movie or annoying your sister is necessarily wrong. Maybe the annoying the sister thing, but uh, but uh, what I am saying is is with the Christian your 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 view of the world needs to be different. As a Christian, uh, Paul did not look around and see the Athenians as just obstacles. He wasn't looking for something entertaining to entertain himself. He looked around and he saw the idols, and his heart was broken. Because he saw lost souls destined for eternity in hell unless somebody brings the gospel to him. And that takes effort. That takes work, right? Because you don't walk into a room and just sit there and... and, it's just not natural except for that miraculous work that God does to start changing your heart to do this. You usually don't walk into a room and sit there and say, okay, that's a soul. I wonder if they know Christ. I wonder where their eternal state is. And that's, that's the reason why I need to engage them in conversation. That's why I need to befriend them is I need to find out if they're a Christian. If they are, I need to make sure that it's my job to help them look like Christ. And if they're not, I need to make sure it's my job to at least present the gospel before them. That, that is something that is not a natural human function. There are a lot of people that can be very empathetic, right? There are people that are good people at connecting and making friends and communicating. But apart from that work of Christ that works in your heart to change your spirit, to view people through the eyes of Christ, and that is to see them as lost souls or as souls needing to be conformed to the image of Christ. And if that's not your heart... And you are a Christian, you need to pray for that to be your heart. But it takes work. And see, that's, that's the hard part, right? A lot of times we become spiritually lazy. And that's what causes us to be bored and look for things that just stimulate us instead of looking for things that stimulate the Lord, that are glorifying to God. And so we see the world through our own eyes and what we desire. Instead, we walk into a room and we look around and we say, who are my people? Who are the people that I relate to? Who are the people that are gamers like me? Or who are the people that are into poetry like me? Who are the people that dress like me? Who are the people that look like me? Who are the people that are maybe increase my status in my group if I'm a friend to them? That's how we look at the world. And we see that person and it's kind of like, yeah, you know what? I'm just picking up the vibe that I don't think I'm going to get along with that person, so I'm really not even going to go talk to them. All of these different things, different ways. It's like I feel, I don't feel like I belong in this group. I'm on the outskirts, and so I'm just not going to be a part of this group. And that's not the heart of a believer. That's easy. That's lazy. Looking at somebody and just saying, because, simply because they are created in the image of God, I need to care for them. I need to care for them enough to check on their spiritual well-being. And this is what moves Paul. So he's not willing to just sit there and just try to find something to entertain him. This is a city of entertainment. You understand that. There were was, was statues to all every idol, every god they could find. They had statues. The, the, the research I did said that there was probably just as many Statues and idols to God as there was people that lived there. Think about how amazing it would be to go and just walk around and look at the sculpture, the architecture of these statues. To just walk through a city full of marble and stone and wood statues that are carved out to these gods. And then think about the... the education you could receive from just listening to these people explain their gods and tell you the history behind their gods. You can learn a lot about their belief system, their world religion, what, the, what they're believing, what they're invested in. And then this is the place to go if you are a philosopher. They the end of the the scriptures tells us uh, here in verse twenty one that they were they were always looking and listening for something new. They were intellectually stimulated people. That is what they they spent all of their time doing is just looking for something new. They were huge into philosophy. A lot of a lot of philosophers came out of Athens. A lot of uh, rich Greek roots there, and just. You could be entertained for a long time just walking through the city of Athens, having conversations with people about their history, their gods, what's going on. That wasn't what was on Paul's heart. What Paul saw was he saw a city full of idols and therefore a city full of people that were not worshiping the one true God. A city full of people that are bound for hell unless they hear the gospel preached. And so having that, that uh, provoked heart sees people as souls. And it also loves sacrificially. You understand your heart should break for lost souls to the point that we would lay aside our desires, our wants, and even sometimes our needs for the sake of others to have a right relationship with God. That is loving sacrificially. That is the love a Christian is called to do. I'm so grateful that Jesus was not as selfish as I am because he sacrificed to the point of death even death on the cross. He, he understands that the creator and owner of all things was worshipped perfectly in heaven by the angels. Do you understand that? He was, he was held to the high position that he deserves. The angels were created to worship, and he was given the respect and glory and honor he deserves in heaven. And he chose to leave that to become the form of flesh, to become a baby, independent or or, or dependent upon a mother, to to nurse him and to feed him and to to change him. The creator of the universe, perfect and holy and just, left where he was perfectly worshipped to take on the form of his creation with the intent of being mocked Persecuted and crucified by the very things he created and loves. That is the sacrificial love that Christ had for us. And that is the sacrificial love that we spit in the face of when we refuse to love others the same way. That's why he's saying in John, is he saying, they're in the world, but they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. They're, they're of me. And if we claim to be Christians and we're of Christ, then we should be loving like Christ loved. We're not going to do it perfectly, but far too many times we use that as an excuse. We say, well, I'm not going to be perfect. No one's perfect, right? We use that as an excuse. Well, guess what? The goal is pursuing perfection. And there is no excuse for not pursuing that goal. And will you fail? Yes. And then you get to repent. And you get to rejoice in the forgiveness that's granted to you by Christ. And you get to live in the light of that because he has cast it as far as the east is from the west. And you get to pursue that goal of perfection again. But that's the goal of perfection. It's not perfection in your job, in your hobby, in your family, in your career. That's not the perfection. The perfection is the pursuit of Christ likeness. And this is the heart of a Christian, is someone that would lay aside their personal needs. Philippians chapter 2 just leads you all the way through this, right? It gives you the examples, and it gives you that perfect example of Christ. This is the example. It's about laying aside. What you want. Because when you serve what you want, you have made yourself Lord of your own life. When you serve what you want, you have made yourself more important than God. That's the greatest competition for lordship of your life is you. It's me. When I sin, it's because I have determined either God is not good or God is not wise, or I just plain want to do this. That is what sin is. It's any disobedience to God. And so loving sacrificially, that is part of this being provoked in your spirit. When you see a lost soul, it's not just sitting there and, and, and saying, oh, that must be a lost soul. I'll pray for them. It, 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 it takes action. That's your next, number three. Take action. A Christian life is an active life, not a passive one. The passive Christian is lazy. And they have lost their sight of their calling. Paul was moved to action when faced with the time on his hands. He chose to use the time to serve God, not entertain himself. Verse 17 says, So he was reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in, uh, in the marketplace every day with those whom happened to be present. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoics philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what is this idle babbler wishing to say? Others, he seems to be proclaiming strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. This is something they had never heard before. But Paul is seeking to have conversations with those in the city. Reasoning that with them, he is not, want well, you to know, notice, he's not standing in front of their idols with picket signs and protesting, screaming and shouting and shaking his fist, he's not defacing their idols. He's not tearing them down. He's not uh, beating up the people who worship these false gods. He's not—he's not verbally attacking them. He's not insulting them. He's not calling them idiots and saying you're dumb for believing this. This isn't—he's reasoning with them. He is reasoning with them. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But we must remember, when we're doing these conversations with people, it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. You can have a debate, and you can win the debate, but if you didn't bring the gospel to bear, you won nothing. You got caught up in an argument that it was more about you proving this person wrong than it was about them coming to know Christ. We need to lay the gospel at people's feet and we need to do it with gentleness and love so that they can receive it. Who wants to worship the God of some arrogant fool that stands there and just pumps his chest and argues? Why would somebody want to worship your God if you're mocking and belittling them? Why would they want that? They wouldn't. I wouldn't. You could, we could stand up here and have a debate and you could sit there and you could make a fool out of me. And then say, okay, now do you want what I have? Absolutely not. Because I don't want to be like that. Why would I want to be like that? Understand that you are laying the gospel at their feet. But you need to do it in gentleness and love. And that is that comes from a pure motive and a true desire to proclaim the gospel. Not of an obligation to proclaim the gospel, but a true desire to pre- present this truth. And are you going to goof up at times? Absolutely. And once again, you get to rejoice in the forgiveness that's granted to you through Christ. What a blessing that is. So... Any argument or debate that does not bring the gospel to bear is futile. The Athenians would also have gladly accepted a new God to put on display. It was obvious they thought the more gods, the better. And so it's not that he is just proclaiming a God. They would have gladly accepted just, hey, create another statue, right? Much of the pagan worship is to try to bring physical comfort, blessings from other gods, protection from that god, uh, don't uh, don't offend this god. There is no absolute truth in their belief system because they want every last possible god they can get their hands on. And so, there is, it's, it, this is a perfect s- picture of society of accepting everything. Okay? This is that picture. Everything. It's like we will encompass it all. And so, there is no absolute truth in this society. And in a world where there is no absolute, or <clears throat> in a world where truth is subjective, everything is subjective It's like a ship lost at sea with no anchor. The winds of philosophy push it one way while the waves of emotion pull it another way. It's tossed through life, moving in whatever direction the need of the moment calls for. The only possible end state is to be dashed against the rocks and broken apart unless... Saved by the solid anchor of absolute truth that is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry put it this way when describing the Athenians the greatest pretenders to reason are the greatest slaves to idolatry. The greatest pretenders to reason are the greatest slaves to idolatry. People are pretending to rationalize and have reason to things that are absolutely unrational and unreasonable. Absolutely ridiculous to be able to say, I get to decide what gender I am. It it just can't even define a woman. It's mind-blowing. And you look at it at face value and say, this is lunacy. But somehow society has a way to manage to be able to push this and manipulate it to the point where it's, it's becoming commonplace. And it's absolutely crazy because there is no rationality. There is no reason. And that society is going bound to be subject to idolatry, to be worshiping the things that they're trying to rationalize. Roman 1 tells us Throughout, it, it just paints the picture of this society then and the society now. And that is, is those, that they, they know the truth. It's, it's written in their heart. So they know that what they're, te- they're doing is crazy, is lunacy. But yet other people are going along with it and they're buying into it. And they're convincing themselves, right? But they know the truth. It's, it's in nature, it's screaming to them that God is truth. And it's written in their heart. Their moral law is written in their heart. And yet they suppress that truth and they believe a lie, and they end up worshiping the creature rather than the creator. They worship the things the creator created instead of the creature. And then they're turned over to their own lusts and their own entices, their own desires, exchanging the use of the natural use of the woman for that of men, talking about homosexuality, talking about these things that are appalling to God. And these are the patterns and the paths that flow from this. No absolute truth. This truth is subjective. It is what I want it to be. And everybody's truth is equal. We all have our own truth. That's hogwash. So let's talk about the people of Athens. So he's reasoning in the synagogues. So it would seem that probably the reason why he's mentioning the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in this is because that's Paul's usual starting place. Uh, And reasoning for that is usually oftentimes because those are the ones that have some Old Testament understanding. And so the prophecies that point to Christ would be very easy to explain and understand. And they could easily say, oh, yes, this is the Messiah we've been waiting for, or at least know what he's talking about. It seems to be a reasonable starting place to impact the city. Because remember, what Paul is doing is building churches in the city. He's not just doing a go and blow gospel where he's just going in say, in the gospel and leaving, and leaving people undiscipled and un- unattended. And so he's wanting to establish churches. And the, the gospel, the call to, to, to preach the gospel was to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles and to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? It goes out forth from there. And so this is Paul's starting point. However, I would say that it seems like the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles were not a prominent force in the city because what Paul is preaching is strange to them. Now he's preaching Christ and him crucified in the resurrection. And that is definitely strange to them. But even, even if the, the Jews and, and the Gentiles that were God-fearing were pushing out... There would have been the understandings of some of the prophecies that were tied to this. It wouldn't have been quite so strange. Plus, there really just doesn't seem to be a strong foothold in this pagan world, in this pagan religion, or this pagan city. uh, Doesn't seem to be a strong foothold of those who were even adhering to Jewish law or or to the Old Testament laws to a high degree. So, that's why I think that the Jews and the Gentiles are mentioned in this, though, is because it is usually his primary audience out of the gate. Now, let's talk about the Epicureans. Uh, They would be followers of the Greek philosopher Epicurus. And this is your uh, early uh, foodies, okay? So, these would be... Persons devoted to sensual enjoyments, mainly food and drink. And so to be uh, an Epicurean is a foodie. It's somebody that is devoting themselves to spoiling themselves, to, to a lavish life. And mostly the, at the heartbeat of it was food and drink. And so they liked the finer things in life, especially a good steak. And just, they, so this was their obsession. This was their philosophy. <clears throat> it's kind of this eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It's, it's live for now. Live for the moment. This is important. And so we are in this moment, live for this moment. <clears throat> and then we have the Stoics. And they'd be followers of the Greek philosopher Zeno. And this was the... uh Yeah, the highest good is uh, based on knowing or is based on knowledge. So the highest good is based on knowledge. The wise live in harmony with fate and providence that govern nature and are indifferent to circumstances that bring forth pleasure or pain. And so the Stoic is somebody that tries to live in harmony with whatever the fates may bring. And so, pleasure doesn't get them excited. Pain doesn't get them down. They are the the people I actually grew up in a community that, that really was very much this way, and I was very much stoic, not necessarily in my religious beliefs, but in my personality, where I was just numb. I was numb to things. I didn't didn't get upset. I didn't, I tried to not feel pain. Uh, I just shut off emotions altogether. I'll tell you, shutting off emotions is not dealing with things. Shutting off emotions is not fixing the problem. Just because you didn't cry doesn't mean you dealt with something. Just because you didn't laugh didn't mean you weren't rejoicing. That's just prolonging things. That's just building things up. But this is their intent of doing this was to live in harmony because that is the greatest good. So, oh, I just hit that little button thing. I don't like my iPad sometimes. All right, so uh, now we see we'll move on to Paul given a platform because I need to get close to wrapping up. So Paul's given a platform, and so they take him to the. Uh, Arapagals. If I say it really fast, you wouldn't even know if I'm mispronouncing it, right? Uh, <clears throat> so, um, what this is, is this is actually not like a pulling in, inside. Anybody know what this is? Let me ask you that. You rubbed your eyes and you almost raised your hand and I was about ready to call on you. <clears throat> Good. Yeah. So it is, it's not, at first I was like, oh, is this like the temple for one of these beliefs? But this is a place where they bring somebody to talk. And really what it is, is, is an outcropping of rocks. And you can actually, if you Google it, you can see a picture of it. The actual one in Athens with this outcropping of rocks. So it's a big boulder that's coming out the side of a mountain and it kind of overhangs and cuts in. So a rock climber would really like it. And then below it is a flat spot. And so they would bring the person up on top of the rock and then everybody would gather down below it. And so they're giving Paul a platform. It's not this private questioning in some temple or in this in a separate place. They're actually giving him a platform because this is strange to them. They, they, they have never heard of a God rising from the dead. Do you understand all gods except for one are dead? In fact, they're false. But every prophet of one of these gods... Dead, buried in the grounds. There is an end state. There has never been a resurrection. We serve the risen Savior. We serve the only risen Savior. We serve the one true God. And so this is strange to them. They have never heard anything like this. And some are saying he's an idle babbler. And some are saying he's proclaiming strange deities. So Paul is given a platform to be able to explain and expound on this. And so now he is standing on top of this rock. Can anybody guess where this rock is located? What? Athens. But we're getting ready. I'm giving, I was so bummed that I don't get to, to do this. Tyler gets to do this message. Paul's message on Mars Hill. Right. This is, this is on Mars Hill. He doesn't move from here to proclaim this next message. And so Tyler's going to get into that next week, and you'll be able to hear more. Uh, Really, what you're going to be able to hear is an absolutely amazing form of apologetics that presents the argument and immerses it in the gospel. Apologetics apart from the gospel is useless. Philosophical arguments of the existence of God are useless if they're not accompanied by the gospel. Understand that. Know that. Learn the gospel. Love the gospel. Live the gospel. Let it be your heartbeat that causes you to see others as human souls that need the gospel. This is why you need to preach the gospel to yourself. This is why you need to check to make your own election secure. The gospel is not something you leave behinds. The gospel is something that the rest of your Christian life is built on. It is the foundation of everything you are able to do. And if you take the gospel away, everything else is wood, hay, and stubble. It is good works. It is filthiness. It is disgusting before God if it's not built on the gospel. And so learn the gospel. Live the gospel. Love the gospel. It is the heartbeat of your faith. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of those that have gone before us. Lord, Father, we believe this is truth, and now we pray that you would help us. Father, we admit that we are weak. We fail so often. Lord, I pray that you would, you would convict us of these sins of omission, and that we would not be lazy, that we would be hungry for uh, sharing the gospel, that we would see people as lost souls, that we would love people well, and that we would take action. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.